I invite you to take your Bible and turn with me now to the Gospel of Luke in chapter 9. The Gospel of Luke in chapter 9. Today we're looking at the feeding of the 5,000. Uh, Jesus, um, I can get my iPad to work here. Uh, Jesus is going to create a situation here where the disciples are going to observe a miracle that's beyond ex explanation. I don't know if you've ever been caught short or not. Uh, there's nothing like being without milk and bread when there's 10 inches of snow on the ground. There's just nothing like it. Uh, th there's nothing like picking up the wrong lunch bucket when you go to work and you open it up and there's nothing in there. Um, you, you just find yourself sometimes short. And uh, I think there are many times that we are caught short uh, when we come across a crisis, when we come across a, uh, a time that was unexpected, and we don't know quite how to respond. Um, yesterday, Linda's episode with the uh, kidney stone, uh, she's doing much better now. Thank you for your prayers. Um, uh, morphine's good, and that other thing that she's taken has really helped a lot, too. Uh, but uh, thank you for, for your prayers. It reminded me of a, a deacon I had in my church in Louisiana. He was a tough dude. I mean, he just tough as tough could be. He always talked tough. He always spoke, uh, you know, kind of condescending about other people because they get sick. And he just couldn't imagine people get sick. Um, he, he just couldn't imagine that people weren't as tough as he was. Well, one day my phone rang. And the hospital is about two blocks away from the church. So uh, he says, Brother Curry, said, you, could you come here to the hospital and pray with me? And I called his name and I said, what's, what's wrong? He said, just get up here as soon as you can. I thought, wow, this guy's never been in the hospital before. And I, I get up there and I go to his room. And um, this tough guy, he's not lying in the bed. He's lying under the bed. He's on the tile floor trying to get... Um, relief from a kidney stone. I'll tell you, there's nothing like a kidney stone to make you humble. <laughs> there's nothing like a kidney stone to uh, bring you to, to prayer and fasting, which was what the Sunday school lesson was about this, this morning. But our disciples come across an occasion where they are caught short as well. And they're trying to be faithful. They're trying to serve the Lord. They're trying to do what He asked them to do. And uh, they've experienced some good times. I mean, they've experienced some miraculous um, evidences of God's working in their life. I'd like for you, if you would, to follow me as I read. We're going to read verses 16 to 17 together here in a minute. But let me read the background to what we're going to study today as Jesus um, demonstrates to these disciples what God is able to do. When we are empowered with the blessing of Christ what God is able to do when we come up short, when we're not able to provide, when, when our bucket is empty. And I don't know about you, but I've had many times in my life that I'm praying, Lord, fill up my bucket. I just feel empty today. I'm just exhausted. I'm just tired. Um, I'm bored. I'm, I'm not excited like I used to be. Or, Lord, I, I'm going through a, a trying time in my life, and I just don't know how to deal with this. 
Or maybe sometime you said, Lord, this grief that I'm carrying is just more than I can bear. God, I need your help. My, my, my lunch bucket is empty. And God, I need you to fill it in a miraculous way. The Bible says in verse 1, He called the twelve together. Now that's a phrase that Luke is using to describe the twelve apostles. Now Jesus had not only the twelve that He had called, but He also had other disciples that followed with Him. Along with that group, He had a larger crowd that seemed to pursue Him. Uh, so wherever Jesus went, even to try to get away from that larger crowd, they'd find Him. And, and they would... Uh, begged for him to do more for them because he had provided so many wonderful miracles in their presence. So he called the twelve together. Now this is a huddle. This is a holy huddle. And, and Jesus is going to give them some instructions. Now when I think about the twelve, I think about not just the, the uh, twelve tribes of the Old Testament, but I'm thinking about the new Israel. Now the new Israel is is built upon the testimony of the apostles and the prophets. That's called the church. And we are the twelve, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. So when you hear him speaking to the twelve, he's speaking to us also. And he gave them power, didymos, where we get the word dynamite, and authority over all demons over all evil, and to heal people, to heal diseases. And he sent them out. Now the word apostle, or apostolos in the Greek, is, means to be sent out, one who is sent out. And while we may not be the original twelve that's sent out, Jesus has sent his church out by saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations. That's the command. That's the instructions that Jesus gave to us, just like he gave to the twelve here to go out in his authority and his power to perform miracles. And he sent them out to preach. We are all called to proclaim, whether through teaching, through spiritual disciplines, uh, through our testimony. There are many, many ways to proclaim the kingdom of God. Uh, the Franciscans say, do everything you can to proclaim the kingdom of God. And, and, and sometimes use words. I think our deeds and our actions proclaim more about the kingdom of God. How we act, how we behave, how we uh, live the Christian life says a lot about what we believe. We always, watch this, write it down if you hadn't written it down. We always behave as we believe. Always. We always act like we believe. We always behave as we believe. Sometimes as we confess. Now what that means is, sometimes I say I believe this, but I really don't do that. I do less. I do less. So we always behave as we believe. Sometimes we behave as we confess. And he said to them, <clears throat> Go light, take nothing for your journey, neither staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not even have two tunics, two outer clothings apiece. And in whatever house you enter, stay there and take your leave from them. And as for those who do not receive you, as you go out from that city, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And departing, they began going about among the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. 
Now there's opposition when you follow Jesus. Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening and he was perplexed. But it was said by some that John had been raised from the, or had risen from the dead. And by some that Elijah had appeared and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen again. And Herod said, I myself had John beheaded, but who is this man about whom I hear such things? And he kept trying to see him. And when the apostles returned from their, from their exercise, you know, kind of like um, uh, being on a military exercise, you, 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 you have your marching orders, you, you have your mission, and, and you go out and, and you fulfill your mission, and then you come back and you debrief. We do that all the time in the air guard. So here they're coming back to, to debrief. And when the apostles returned, they gave an account to him of all that they had done. See, they had some success. And taking them with him, he withdrew by himself to a city called Bethsaida. But the multitudes, that's this larger crowd I mentioned, were aware of this and followed him, and he welcomed them. And he began to speak to them about the kingdom of God and curing those who had need of healing. And the day began to decline, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the multitude away that they may go into the surrounding villages and countryside and find lodging and get something to eat. For here we are in a desolate place. We're a long way from the bakery. <laughs> We're a long way from uh, the Kroger. Okay, We are in a desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. And they said, Can't. We have no more than five loaves, and two fish, unless perhaps we go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. Now, if each of those men were married and they had some kids, you're talking about a lot of people. And he says to his disciples, have them to recline to eat in groups of about 50 each. And they did so. And, ha and they had them all to recline. Now pick up with verse 16 and 17 with me. And he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed them and broke them and kept giving to the disciples to set before the people. And they all ate and were satisfied, and the broken pieces which they had left over were picked up twelve baskets full. Now remember... Here they are assigned to fulfill the great commission of our Lord, which is to go and proclaim the kingdom of God. They've had some success, and now they're met with a greater challenge. And they can't meet the challenge. They don't have the resources. There's only five loaves, two fish, and maybe ten or 15,000 people. How are you going to do this? Which leads me to say some things about following Jesus and being a disciple of our Lord. Many, many times the Lord asks us to do something that requires more than our resources, that requires more than our abilities, that requires more than our giftedness, that requires more than our abilities. And yet we are not empty. Our basket can be full and filled again and again and again 
if we will follow Jesus and watch him do what only Jesus can do. Watch him demonstrate the kingdom of God in our midst in a miraculous, miraculous way. This incident where Jesus multiplies the loaves and the fishes in a miraculous way is recorded in all four Gospels. There are not many miracles that are recorded in all four. Some of them are recorded in three and some in just two. But this one is recorded in all four. I wonder why. Well, if you remember back in the Old Testament, and certainly Dr. Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke, would have known that in the days of the Old Testament Israel, wandering uh, in the wilderness, being faithful to God and following Moses and, 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 and on a pilgrimage, on a journey with God there in the desert, God provided for them in a miraculous way. And he fed them manna. He fed them bread. And he did it in a wilderness. He, uh, he, he, he um, uh, provided a miracle of, of uh, striking when Moses struck the rock with the staff and the water came out. They had water and they had bread. Uh, they had quail to eat. And God provided them all the way through. And I'm wondering if all the four writers of the four Gospels said to themselves, this reminds us of the faithfulness of God. When God's people were empty, when God's people didn't know how they were going to get by, when God's people didn't know how they were going to make it, that God intervened with a blessing greater than they could have ever anticipated. And now He's doing it again. He's doing it again in the kingdom of God. And he's demonstrating to us that God is God. And God can work some miracles in our life that can come about in no other way than to just let him be God. So if we're going to be disciples, if we're going to experience the empowerment uh, of this blessing of Christ and the power of God among us in the modern day, we need to look to the Bible and learn some things and reclaim uh, these faith steps. Number one, go under Jesus' authority and power wherever He sends you. To experience the miraculous power of God, you have to go with God. What's the first two letters in God? G-O. You can't stay where you are and go with God. When God sends you on a mission, you have to be faithful and go with Him. We miss this authority and power of God because we just keep saying to God, I can't do that. I won't do that. I'm not able to do that. When, we're, when really what He's asking us to do is simply say, will you try this? Will you just try this? Yeah, you might blow it. Yeah, you might fail. Yeah, it may not work. Yeah, they may not show up. But will you try it and let me demonstrate for you what it means to step into the kingdom of God with faith. What it means to live with a sense of inadequacy. I don't know how many times I've heard that among church members who are asked to do things, and we say, I just can't do that. But God's not asking us to do something that is beyond His power to accomplish. And He says to us, I have given you authority to go in my name, and to proclaim the kingdom of God. Where does this authority and power come from? Well, number one, it comes from the fact that God is creator. Jesus is creator of all things. It is through Him that God created the world. Now, if He actually created the world, and He is present among us in the Holy Spirit, can He, do, can he not do more than I can? 
Can he take not, can he not take, excuse me, I'm just, my tongue just backward this morning. I put it on wrong, I guess. Um, can he not do more than what I am able to do? If he can create out of nothing, can he not do more than I can do with my little abilities? This one who has authority and power is sovereign over Satan and all his demons. Scripture says in Mark, what is this, a new teaching with authority as they heard Jesus teach? He commands even the unclean spirits and these unclean spirits obey him. If there's an area where you and I are most inadequate, it is in spiritual warfare. We do not have what it takes to take on the devil. He's more cunning than you and me. He's been at it longer than you and me. He's more powerful than you and me. But he's not more powerful than Jesus. And it is the surrender, daily surrender to Jesus Christ that gives us victory in spiritual warfare. The Apostle Paul said he's also head of the church. He has authority and power over the mission of the church. Will Ekron Baptist Church survive? Jesus said the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's how much Jesus protects, guides, and leads and has authority and power over his church. Jesus didn't delegate the work without also delegating the power and the authority to do that work. So what we need to do as we realize our inability to, to do this huge task of taking the gospel to every person in the world, this huge task of, of maintaining the discipleship ministry of the church, this huge task of believing when we uh, fall short and, and fail to see that we can be a part of God's great kingdom. We need to listen to the Holy Spirit as He leads us. We need to make our mission about Jesus, not about us. And we need to give people a chance to, uh, to respond. I really believe that when we do evangelism, when we do uh, one-to-one, person-to-person evangelism, I really think we uh, pre- qualify people not to hear the gospel. I really do. Uh, when you think about someone in your life that is lost and doesn't know the Lord, and do you pre-assess in your own mind, well, they'll, they'll never believe. They're so lost. They're so hard-headed. They're so stubborn. They're so far away from the Lord. There's no way they'll change. Apostle Paul would tell us today, I was the chiefest of sinners. And yet when I met Jesus Christ, he dramatically changed my life. Make it about Jesus and give them an opportunity to respond. And be a person of prayer. The authority and the power of Jesus in our life comes through prayer. There are many times that Jesus sent out the disciples and they were unsuccessful. And they came back to Jesus and said, what was wrong? What did we do wrong? What's wrong with our program? What's wrong with our technique? What, what's wrong with the way that we're doing it? And Jesus said to them, this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. I appreciated 
Brother Larry's teaching this morning in Sunday school about prayer and fasting. And it's something that Baptists, it's a spiritual discipline that Baptists don't talk about much because they really don't do it much. But I would ask you to consider this, this coming week as we, in the church calendar, uh, coming up on the Lenten season. I know that's not a big thing for Baptists, but this is the Lenten season. Be thinking about something that you will do without that will cause you to focus more upon the presence and the power of Jesus in your life. So go as you follow Jesus. If you want to see His hand of miracle upon your life, go in the authority and power wherever He sends. Number two, travel light on your journey with Jesus. Travel light on your journey with Jesus. Now here in this passage, Jesus said, Take nothing for your journey, uh, neither a staff or a bag, nor bread, nor money, uh, nor even two other uh, pieces of clothing. As you go, Jesus is saying to them, Travel light. When a rabbi may go into the temple to serve the Lord, uh, he was to leave everything behind. And he was to enter into the temple to worship the Lord with total focus upon the presence and the power of God. That's what Jesus is trying to do here. He wants us to travel light. But by that, in modern day, I would say that Jesus is saying to us, don't be so preoccupied with what you want in this world and the things you want to accumulate and the toys you'd like to have in this world so that you take your focus off, on, off of why you were here. Your mission, your calling, is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. What is it that you're most preoccupied in your life what thing do you have in your life that's keeping you from doing that? It may be something that you need to lay aside and say, Lord, help me not to be so burdened down with all the stuff in the world that I'm trying to accumulate for me, but Lord, help me to travel light so I can move with you, so I can go with you, and I will not be so cluttered in my, my personal life with the things of this world and trying to maintain those things. Folks, the more stuff you got, the more stuff it takes to keep that stuff. It, it takes more to keep up with that stuff. It takes more to manage that stuff. And the goal in life is not to see who dies with the most toys. That's not the goal in life. The goal in life is to be obedient to the Lord Jesus and experience the supernatural work of the coming kingdom of God in our time and our day. God will do that if you travel light. Traveling light means I am focused upon what God wants me to do with my life. Can you, in a sentence, say your mission statement for this life? Can you write it down? You ever tried it? A sentence or two that describes your mission statement. God's calling for your life. If you're not saved, that's where you start. God's calling for your life is to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. God's calling for every Christian is some ministry in the kingdom of God. What is that ministry? What is your giftedness? What are your strengths? What are your interests? What are your passions? Are they dedicated 
for the glory of God and the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Can you say your mission statement in one sentence? We have a way of taking on the culture of the world and we get cluttered with it. Our lives get cluttered with the culture of the world. We're trying to keep up with everybody else. We're trying to show the world and bear some kind of image as to who we are in order to gain some kind of reputation in the world. I find that so often. And we have to be careful that we're not just a cultural Christian, but we have moved beyond our culture to be a faithful disciple and a follower of Jesus Christ. We're not called to just fit into our culture and say, oh, by the way, I'm a Christian. We're called to change the world we live in by the presence and power of Christ in our life, by the testimony that we live, that others will see us and say, there goes someone who follows Jesus Christ. I found some distinctions between cultural Christianity and being a disciple of Jesus. Let me share a few of these with you. A cultural Christian believes because it's convenient to do so. The group I hang out with goes to church, therefore I'm a Christian and I believe. A disciple believes and follows Jesus simply because it's true, whether anybody else follows or not. And there's some of you that are here today and you're here by yourself. Your family's not with you. Uh, you may have a friend or two that's here, but the people that you hang out with are not here. I want to applaud you because you have stepped away from going along with culture and you have chosen a road less travel in your discipleship and your fellowship of Jesus Christ. And one thing you'll discover about being a disciple of Jesus is this highway you're on is very narrow. The highway that the culture is living on is very broad, and it leads to destruction. But the life of being a disciple of Jesus Christ is a narrow road, and most people are going in the opposite direction. A cultural Christian is shaped more by the ways of society and culture. A disciple submits to the process of being fully formed to Jesus and His way for our life. So what values shape you? What values have formed who you are? Is it Jesus or is it the society and the culture and the values of this world? Who are you trying to please? Are you living to please Jesus or are you living to be accepted by the world? When the world's culture and the world's values are not Christ's culture and values, you're going to find yourself Living a life of emptiness. In your heart, there's an emptiness. In your heart, there's a longing for more. A cultural Christian enjoys the benefits of the cross. I'm saved. I'm sanctified. I'm heaven bound. I have this. I have that because I participate with other Christians. A real disciple willingly embraces the sacrifices of this cross. In the same chapter, Jesus will say to us, verse 24, Whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake 
He is the one who will save it. This inverted principle of the kingdom of God challenges us to believe that when God is at work in our life, miracles do happen, but it's not the way the world is going. It is the way of the cross. And that calls for sacrifice. I want to share the last point with you, and then we're going to observe the Lord's Supper. In verses 16 and 17, uh, Jesus takes what little the disciples have, five loaves and two fish. Can you imagine looking at 10,000 people? Have you ever seen 10,000 people? Just think about how many that is. In a football game, uh, 10,000 people, that's a lot of folks. 15,000 people, 20,000 people, can you imagine? That's a lot of folks. And they're seated in groups of 50 along the hillside. And Jesus says to these disciples, Okay, give me what you got. And in their baskets, they've got five loaves and two fish. And he says to them, What we're going to ask you to do in a minute, would you just come by, each of you in these rows of 50, and would you just receive from this basket? Here they come. This group of 50 gets up. And this group of 50 gets up. That's about half here and half here. And they come up to the front to one table. There's Jesus with his basket. And I can see the disciples watching this. Oh, my goodness. Is there going to be enough? It's the same question the ordinance committee always asks themselves at the Lord's Supper. Are there going to be enough? Don't you do that? I do that. Are there going to be enough? And these disciples are asking, oh my goodness, is there going to be enough? And Jesus just faithfully keeps feeding these people. And he faithfully keeps feeding these people. And there is a holy hush among this crowd of 15 or 20,000 It's unexplainable what God can do. That feeding of the 5,000. Bear with me. It's just a little bitty glimpse of what it's going to be like at the marriage supper of the Lamb in God's holy heaven. One day we're going to come together this Lord's Supper in heaven, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Jesus told his disciples, I'll not share this meal with you until I break bread with you in the kingdom of God that's going to come. Now we'll have the Lord's Supper together here among ourselves, but we will share it with the Lord Jesus on that day in his holy heaven. It's going to be a beautiful day. Brother Larry mentioned in his prayer a while ago, and I agree with you, brother. I miss those chicken dinners once a month. I just miss the heck out of it. I really do. Um, but when we get to heaven, just think of all the family that you've lost in the past that's going to be there to share that meal with you. And there's going to be a holy hush, I believe, at this banquet table. Because when we compare how we've lived in this life, scrapping to get by, 
living with disappointment, living with a sense of I'm not adequate, living, living with a sense of I'm never okay. And we get to God's holy heaven and we find out God has said to us, I told you, I love you. I told you I'd give you heaven. I told you that your sins are forgiven. I told you that you were the most important thing in the whole wide world that I created. And I have brought you into my holy presence forever and forever and forever. Now let us praise the Father. Uh, let us praise the, uh, the, the, the presence of the powerful God who saved us when he was resurrected from the dead. And now we are with him in God's holy heaven. There's just no comparison. It is so other than us as we have experienced it now. But by faith, we get to taste. Literally, we taste. But we get to taste by faith of what it's going to be like at the marriage supper of the Lamb in God's holy heaven. And I think that's why this miracle is in all four Gospels. So when I observe the Lord's Supper this morning, I'm doing it with hope. That's all I need to say. Father, we thank you and praise you that by a miracle greater than we can explain, we're going to live again. We're going to live forever with you in your holy heaven. <laughs> By smaller miracles, greater than we can explain, you're providing for us right now. And while you provide for us, you continue to challenge us to be faithful and to doubt our doubts. We have doubts about ourselves. We have doubts about our abilities. We have doubts about what even you can do. But Father... You challenge our doubts. And you call us to a greater faith. May we be faithful to you. And say, help Lord even my unbelief to trust you and to follow you. Lord, as we give this invitation today, there may be a person here, I know there's several here, that are not saved, have not yet given their life to Jesus. I pray that today will be the day of salvation. Today will be the day that will come and say, I trust Jesus as my Savior and my Lord. And I give my life to the Lord. May they come now while we sing this song. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You've been listening to the Sunday morning worship service of the Ekron Baptist Church. You too can accept the eternal life offered by Jesus Christ. First, admit that you are a sinner. Then believe that Jesus Christ can forgive you of your sins and ask Him to come into your heart and change your life. Then confess your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. If you've made this decision today, write to us at the Akron Baptist Church, 2775 Hayesville Road, Akron, Kentucky, 40117. If you're looking for a church home, we invite you to be a part of our growing family with programs and Bible studies for all ages. Join us next Sunday at 11 a.m. for morning worship from the Ekron Baptist Church. Until that time, may God bless.